If you have your Bibles, quickly open them to 1 Chronicles chapter 21, uh, starting with verse 1. It's going to be a minute, so just read, just read with me. Uh, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan, then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, may the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. My Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? The king's word, however, overruled Joab. So Joab left and went throughout Israel and then came back to Jerusalem. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to David. In all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. This command was also evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. The Lord said to Gad, David's seer, go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Take your choice, three years of famine, three months of being swept away before your enemies with their swords overtaking you, or three days of the sword of the Lord, days of plague in the land with an angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Now then decide how I should answer the one who sent me. David said to Gad, just listen to this. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. But do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. And God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. But as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it and relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enjoy enough with draw your hand. Definitely don't enjoy it. The angel of the Lord was then standing at the threshing floor with Arana the Jesuit. David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand extended over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell face down. David said to God, was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I, the shepherd, have sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Lord my God, let your hand fall on me and my family, but do not let this plague remain on your people. Would you guys just pray with me real fast? God, I pray, Lord, right now that you will, just in a unique way this morning, speak to our hearts and our minds. I pray, Father, that you will uh, just bring a fire in our hearts today, God, that nothing in this world or this culture or the enemy can put out. I pray, Father, that you will in every way, shape, and form, God. Lead us to you, God, for your honor and your glory this morning. In your name, amen. This is one of, uh, a very unique uh, situation in David's life. It's, it's, it's an incredibly unique situation. It's one that it's recorded two different times in, in uh, First and Second Samuel, and then in First Second Chronicles. It's in the in the, the book of the prophet and in and in the book of the Chronicles and in Kings. And there is a, a very unique part to this, um, to David's life, because we know David as this great and mighty king, as this great warrior, this faithful. David's even described as, as what? A man after God's own heart. 
Um, and when most people think about David and David's sin in his life, everybody goes to Bathsheba and the you know, naked woman on the roof and the whole uh, you know, affair and murder and stuff like that. And, and we just have this, this massive, when you think about David and you think about the times that David fell in his life, we tend to always go to the affair, always go to the murder. But it's actually not what he describes or what God describes as his greatest sin. This situation is actually part of David's uh, greatest sin list. Do you have a great, do you have a, you know, it's like the top 10? Do you have a top? I do. I, I enjoyed some of them. I mean, it was, it was really, it was good in my, in my, my former years. Um, I got a great top 10 list. One day um, I'll share it with you and just let me know when you're about to leave the church and then I'll just do it then. Make your decision a lot easier. So, um, but we all kind of have that, that list, and this was on David's list. And, and when you read it, a lot of people don't realize. I mean, like, when, when Bathsheba and the affair and the adultery and the murder, it seemed like what happened in comparison, the consequences of that sin don't even stand in comparison at all to what happened uh, when David counted his men. Does that make sense? So it reveals something deep within the situation um, that is incredibly deadly uh, uh, to a man of God, to a woman of God, to, a, to the house of God, to the people of God. And I want to talk about this morning. Da David, David, it's a unique thing um, for David because David rose uh, to fame because of his military prowess. The first thing that we learn about David early on is that even as an adolescent, I know you guys like worked at, you know, McDonald's and had uh, maybe a car wash. I think my first job was cutting grass uh, for this older blind lady that lived a few houses down. Um, I did it every week. I got paid every week. Even in the wintertime, there was half her yard was literally just dirt and gravel. And, and she was blind, and I was a sinner. So, man, that was horrible. <laughs> the sad thing is that's not on my top ten. <laughs> that's the saddest part of that story. Not on my top ten. But when David was young, his first job was hanging out with sheep in a field. He was a shepherd. And, 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 and I know that your first job was probably difficult, but I don't think anybody had to fight lions and bears. David, David's first, first real gig in life uh, was learning how to battle and fight lions and bears. David was just a warrior from day one. And his claim to fame, the thing that shot him uh, into the, the, you know, the platform of, of Israel that, that, that really just rose him in the hearts and the minds of, of the people of the, both the Philistines and all all of Canaan and indefinitely the people of Israel was his battle over Goliath, his victory over Goliath. You know, he walked out and uh, as, as a young child and nobody really believed in him and, and saw that he was to do it, but he wound up defeating Goliath and he was just propelled um, for that. And because of that, he was given um, basically like a small platoon. Saul just kind of gave him a small squad of soldiers that he managed and that he led. And, and he took this small little squad of soldiers and he just started wreaking havoc in the enemy's life. I mean, this was just, David was just built, like Michael Jordan was built to play basketball. David was built for war. He just, his mind thought and strategy. Um, he just had, a, he had a leadership ability uh, that compared to none, his strategy, his wisdom when it came to, to planning battles and his actual physical ability to fight. David wasn't one of those guys, uh, you know, who stayed in the office and made the shots. David drew up the plans and then he led the battle. I mean, he was a warrior and a strategist. And, and it seemed like every single time uh, that his, each stage of his life, God just began to add numbers to his army and to his influence and to his strength. 
even to the point that, that, that people started to sing songs about David. It was one of the things that incited uh, the conflict between him and Saul is that when David came in from one of his first major victories, that all the people, all the, and he didn't just say people, FYI, it said girls. It's that all the women started singing, Saul kills his thousands, but, but David kills his ten, tens thousands. His tens, they're crediting to him all of this stuff that he gained from military might, from this army. And, and, and the older he got and the different seasons he went into, the more God added to his army. Saul gave him men. And even when Saul turned on him and he, they cast him out and he was exiled into the land of the Philistines, for whatever reason, God continued. They had over an army of 400 people in exile that he began to lead and fight with the Philistines. And, and he just all day long, he just he used the army and his skill set and his, his war to just just absolutely wreak havoc on the enemies that whatever stood before him. I mean, this everything that David was, was was tied up in war, was tied up in battle, was tied up in, in fighting, was tied up in leading, was tied up in strategy. And, and everywhere that he got, God just kept sending soldiers, just kept sending soldiers, just kept sending soldiers. And then, and then as, as Saul began to fall and, and more and more people left Saul and went to David, it said multiple times that God just kept adding to David's army, just kept adding great men and fighting men. And, and there was even, there was one of them um, that, that, that they called him, the, I can't remember what they called him, they called him like, it means the man of the spear. And it said he killed like 300 men in one day with a spear. It's just a, just a, a freak. I mean, these, all these guys were just, just coming and they just blessed David just in a crazy way and his army just grew, 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 grew. And it was from this, this uh, influence and that, that he, get God gave him over the armies, and it was from this military power, it was from his assets and his, his abilities and his gifts, everything that had to do with war, that God moved him from the field as a shepherd to the palace as a king. And then as a king, he took control of the entire army of Israel, and he led them in campaigns um, that are literally made of legends. He, they eliminated enemy after enemy after enemy after enemy. There was so much victory day in and day out in David's life um, because God just continued to add his, his battle ability, his war sense, his strategic mind, and, and, and God began to just blessed him with so many soldiers. And, his, and all of that combined... David just absolutely eliminated every single threat to God's people, and, and the people loved him for it, um, and they, they, they just they, they respected him, they made him king, and, and, and David just, just reigned in every ounce from beginning to end. God used what? He used his military power, his strategic mind, and the army. God just kept sending in this army so that David had influence and power and dominion, and Israel eventually became king and united all of Israel together and wiped out uh, the rest of Goliath's brothers along with the Philistines and just laid waste and became one of the greatest kingdoms uh, of the day. It's funny what God used throughout the majority of David's life to bless him, to give him honor, uh, to, to give him a platform, to give him influence, to give him victory, what God used David for and what God used in David's life to give him victory after victory after victory, the enemy used that very same thing to deliver the greatest defeat that David had ever walked through. Does that make sense? It reminds me uh, of Moses. A little bit, and and Moses and I, and not just because we made spears this week, and I just felt like we had we had to just have one on stage. 
I told Joseph earlier, I said, hey, man, you know, just tell the camera people I'm probably going to move a lot more this week because I got a spear. And he said, you're not going to ask me to come up there, are you? <laughs> nope, but I can throw a spear. And, and, and Moses, Moses was uh, uh, another, another unique a unique guy, and, and, and Moses uh, had a speech impediment, um, and he killed a guy when he was younger, and he lived out in the desert for like 40 years. That was his first round of 40 years in the desert, and, uh, and when he came back, he began to lead, and he began to, to, to kind of say to God, God, you know, I just, I'm, these people aren't going to follow me, and it's not going to happen, and how am I going to, how, why would Pharaoh, the, the, the leader of Egypt, listen to me, and, and all that stuff, and so God, God said, listen, I want you, I want you to look, do you see the staff that's in your hand? Everybody had a staff back then, sandals and a staff and dresses. That just seemed like what everybody, everybody wore. And, and Moses had a staff in his hand, and he said, all right, I want you to take that staff. And he said, the first thing he do is I want to show you something. I want to show you something. He said, I want you to lay that staff down. And he goes, and when he laid it down, it turned into a snake. And then Moses was like, ah, a snake. And then God said, now reach down. That's probably not what he said. And he reached down, and he picked it back up, and it turned back into a staff. And he said, now go, go to the Pharaoh and lay, show him, and I'm going to reveal my power through you. And, and, and so that was kind of the start of a relationship that Moses had with a staff. As weird of a sentence as that is. And, and from that moment forward, God used Moses in crazy, some of the craziest miracles that we see in the Bible, some of the craziest things that happened, some of the craziest things that God did. God did and used Moses, and for whatever reason, God took the staff, and, and that somehow symbolized the power of God in Moses' hand because he went to Pharaoh, and he laid it down, and it turned into a snake, and the other little wizards, they came up, and they laid down the staff, and then Moses' staff ate the other staff in the form of a snake. It was awesome. You guys ought to read the Bible. All right? And so now after they see Moses' staff that turned into a snake, eat the other snakes, and then, and then his staff, he picked it back up, and then he took it, and then when he was standing on the, on the Red Sea, and, and Pharaoh's army's coming behind him, and, and they, they're trapped between this huge army and, and, this, and, the, and the Red Sea, and, and God said, no, spread, you know, use the staff, raise the staff, and tell it to spread. So he come up, and he did, you know, everybody's seen the movie where Moses is like this, and I'm sure he always looks so calm in the paintings. I just feel like that's not probably what he looked like, and I feel like he was probably having some, you know, Jewish cuss words or something like in the process like for the love of God work you know what I mean like I just feel like I'm, I just know like if you're sitting there there's one thing being faithful and there's another thing you know and I'm just and, I, and he and he did the thing and the water separated and they walked across on dry land and then the Pharaoh's army came and and they squished it down and, and God just used over and over and over and over again God used the staff that was in, he put in Moses' hand from day one just in u- unique, crazy ways. And, and one of the ways, and this was, this was a miracle that was performed twice, which it wound up posing a great problem for Moses. But when they got out to the desert, uh, they forgot to bring their bottled water. They left it back in Egypt. And they got out in the desert, and they're like, oh, the army's dead. We'll be dead in three days. And so they begin to whine and complain, as, as, as all human beings do right after a major victory. They just lose all their faith for whatever reason and start whining and complaining. It's the craziest thing. And they're like, Moses, why'd you bring us out here to die in the desert? And Moses then has this conversation with God where he basically is like, God, uh, I didn't bring them out here in the desert. You brought them out here in the desert, and now we're going to die, so I need you to do your thing, God. And I'm sure he's just like, kind of, <laughs> see the staff, do something with the staff, and God told him, he said, go out, there's a rock out in the desert. He said, go out to that rock, and I want you to take the staff, and before all the people, he made this big Braveheart speech. You know, it, it was really cool, and I didn't have it memorized, so I'm not going to say it now. But just imagine, you know, Braveheart face paint screaming, freedom. And he goes out to the rock, and he hits the rock as hard as he can with the staff, and, and somehow 
the water begins to just come up out of, out of the rock, and then everybody's saved, and it's this great thing. And, and, and that was, for whatever reason, you know, the whole water splitting and drowning the army didn't really do it for the people of Israel, but Moses hitting the rock and water coming out, all, all that, that's when they really started to, to follow Moses, and they, I don't really understand that, but, but that was what happened. And so this, this staff became this, this huge part of Moses' life. Huge part of Moses' life. And, and God, God had a lot of very distinct and beautiful promises to Moses and the people of Israel. Mostly to get to the promised land, hence the name. And, and, and he said, you're going to go in the desert, you're going to go through this, and I'm going to teach you, and we're going to get there, and you're going to get to the promised land, and you're going to reign, and we're going to build, and I'm going to bless the whole world, the same promise that he made to Abraham years before. And, and so they start to go, and obviously things don't go the way they want, and if you want to learn more about that, read the Bible. And, and they get out to this one place, and the same situation happens again later in Moses' life. And they get to a situation again where they don't have any water. And he comes back to God again, and he says, God, we don't have any water, and we're going to die out here, and and there's just this kind of this reoccurring pattern where you do something amazing and we continue to put our trust in other things and lose faith. Um, but here we are again. They're whining. We're about to die. Just, you know, God, can you do your thing? And, and God spoke to Moses. And he said, Moses, I want you to walk out. There's a rock. I want you to walk out to the rock. And I want you to speak to the rock. And let the rock come out. And the water will come out of the rock. And so Moses leaves the situation with God, and, and he walks over to the rock. And Moses does something different this time than what God said to do. And instead of speaking to the rock like he had instructed him, he picks up his staff once again as, as years before, and he hits the rock, and water comes out. Even though it was a direct disobedience of God. He hits the rock with a staff instead of speaking to it like God spoke to it. The water came out and the people were saved. Later that afternoon, God came to Moses and he delivered an incredibly horrible, sad, tragic news to Moses. And he said, Moses, I told you to go and speak to the rock but you walked in direct disobedience of me and you used the staff to hit the rock. And because of this, you're not going to get to go into the promised land. I want you to know, it's just, like, I'm all about some punishment. That's fine. But I just feel like God just went a little too far. I mean, all he did was hit a rock with a staff all David did was count his army, and now God is telling Moses, you know, you were destined to go into the promised land, to lead the people into the promised land, and to build, start building the kingdom that I'm going to use to bless all the world, and now you're not going to go into the promised land. You're not going to experience that. You're not going to be able to walk across. The closest you'll ever get is on top of a mountain. I will allow you to see it for a few minutes, and then I'm going to take your life from you. All because Moses hit the rock with a staff instead of speak to it. Now, you can't help it because if you're paying attention and you're listening, it's, this bothers you a little bit. It bothers you a little bit because Moses spent his whole life being faithful to God. 
Moses spent his whole life in the desert with these people who are whining and miserable. He spent his whole life honoring God. He spent his whole life doing the thing. And then he makes one mistake with a staff. Something that God had allowed him to do a hundred times. He makes one mistake. And now God is going to stop him from going into the promised land? God's going to stop him from doing the thing that he was created to do. God's going to stop him from getting the reward and the blessing that God even promised him at a time. You're telling me that he goes out and he he does this his entire life and he has one moment where he hits the rock with his staff and God takes everything away from him. Just be honest. Nobody's here. It's just you and me. That bothers you. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Right, just a little bit. Because it just doesn't make sense to us. Again, it's revealing something deep and dark in the human heart. Because this is what, this is what was happening, David's life and in Moses' life. God called them to a great purpose. The same way that I believe that God has called every single person in this room to a great purpose. I believe that God has called this specific church in this specific time in this specific community to do great and mighty things. I believe that God is in the middle of doing some, some and if we, were to, if we were to start writing down what we thought would happen over the next 20 years, I don't think that we would even come close to what I believe that God has planned for this house. And I believe that there's a lot of people in this room that God has positioned you here for this very moment and this very time to do something crazy awesome. And that God has gifted you, gifted you in ways that you can't even imagine. He, he, he's given you things, given you assets, given you uh, influence, given you ability, given you callings, given you anointing. He's just given you all kinds. He's given some of you just great personalities. He's given some of you the ability to manage money. He's given some of you just, you have your lead, you just have leadership ability just dripping off of you. Some of you just have wisdom like you couldn't believe. Some of, I mean, you just, you got athletic ability, you got talent, you can sing, you can worship, you can play instruments, you can draw. There's a countless things that God has gifted you with. And I believe that as a body of Christ, God is going to continue to move in that in this house, in this church, and he's going to use not just the people you see on the stage, but he's going to use every single person in this room. We're all going to be a part of, I believe, something incredibly amazing. I believe that with all of my heart. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be here, I promise you. If I didn't believe that we're still at the beginning of something great, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. But every single day, the more I pray, the more I study, the more I watch God be God, the more apparent and obvious it comes to me that God is doing something unique and different in this house. Not that he's not in other houses, but he is definitely in this house. Not that he's not going to use other people, but he's definitely using these people. And I believe that with all of my heart. And I always say this, I'm going to keep saying it until one day it'll wake you up. Many of you, you'll sit right here and you're going to watch with your eyes God do something amazing. And years from now, you'll look back and realize you sat in the middle of something awesome, but you never took part in it. God's called us to greatness. I believe that with all my heart. And he's gifted us with so many unique things in this house. Just like he gifted David. Just like he gifted Moses. But the problem was this, and I want you to listen to me. What began to happen in the heart of David, and what began to happen in the heart of Moses, as the thing that God was using 
to promote them, the thing that God was using to do great things in their life, the thing that God had blessed them the most with, the thing that God was using, that thing began to become the thing that they depended on rather than the God who gave it. Does that make sense? See, as David began, at first David was just sitting out, sitting out in a field with some sheep and it was just him. And he was fighting off lions and bears. And then when he walked out into the battlefield as an adolescent, he had just himself in a sling. And he began to throw it and he killed Goliath. And he cut the head of Goliath off. He took his sword. He went back. And now he had a sling and a sword and a small platoon. And then he took that platoon, the sword, and the sling. And he, he went somewhere else and he did something great. And, and God just began to add. And, and, and God began, everywhere David went, he blessed him. And everywhere Moses went, God used him to bless with that staff. I mean, it started off with a snake. And then it started off with a battling snake. And then it separated Red Seas. And then it provided water, and then he called down all kinds of craziness with that staff. God used it over and over and over again in his life. But at some point in the heart of both of those great men who were called to greatness, both of them began to trust in something that they should have never put their trust in. They began to trust in the thing that God was using rather than the God who was using it through them. They shifted their heart, they shifted their trust, and they began to depend on the thing rather than on God. I'm going to throw this if I keep holding it. So I, I want you to hear me. There's a lot of you, you think you are awesome. Raise your hand. You are now liars. You've got something in you. You know, you, some of you guys, you just got a personality. Dude, if you just walk into a room, people are just like, oh, man, look at, look at him. Just walking around. Oh, just look at her. She's just so, he. You just walk into a room. People just follow you around because you're just so cool. You're just so awesome. You just got this, you got this personality. So, I mean, you just got, you got, you got this, this abilities. You got all this stuff going on in your life. And what you don't realize is that these are things that God has given you for his honor and for his glory. But when you take your trust off of God and you put it on these things, then these very same blessings, these very same gifts, these very same abilities, these very same strengths that God will use to do great things in your life, if you put your dependency and your trust in them, the enemy will use them to destroy you. See, what happens with, and I use the personality thing because this is something I see all the time, you got a great personality, God's just blessed you, you have influence, you don't even have to read the book, how to influence, make friends and influence people, you just know how, you're just naturally gifted at it, you just walk into a room, well, because of that, you begin to get a little bit of popularity, people begin to know your name, people begin to like you, and then you start to kind of fall in love with that, and you start to really like that, you really like being liked, and you really like being popular, and you really, you really like, and you, you start to depend on that personality, you ever met that, you ever met that guy or that girl, and they're, they're just too cute for school? They just like, they just, just the way they laugh and they're like, ha, 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 ha. And everybody's just like, his laugh is just so, his, and, you just, and you begin to depend on that and live on that. And this becomes the, 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 the key in your life that unlocks the door to success for you. And you begin to depend on it and move on and it becomes your, and then it's the same thing. It's the same thing that begins to get you addicted to the idea of being liked, to the idea of being popularity. And now, and now the thing that God gave you to build influence is now the thing that has caused chains and addictions to be in your life and control your heart. Does that make sense? The same deal with money. Some God, people just, God just gives people the ability to make money sometimes. It, just, it literally says it's a spiritual gift. In Proverbs, it says God just, he just gives, some people just have an ability and that they can walk out into a yard, rake leaves, and just find a pot of gold. I don't know how they do it. 
They just, they, it doesn't matter. You can give them sticks and they'll come back. They'll come back with a million dollars. I'm like, yeah, pick the right investment with the sticks. And they just, and they don't realize that God has gifted them for a very specific reason. And they start to depend on that. They start to depend on that and they start to trust in that. And this is the thing, when, they, when their heart shifts from that, or it, it, God, the enemy begins to kind of creep in and, and use that to trap them and to take their downfall. And many times it costs them the greatness that God was calling them to. It costs them living out the, the finality of their purpose. I heard a man tell me one time, he said, the enemy is going to work as hard as he can to stop you from, from getting out of the valley and getting to the mountain of God. But when you get there, he's going to be waiting for you at the top, meaning he's going to work as hard as he can to make you a failure. But when you begin to succeed in those things, he's going to meet you at the top in that success. And he's going to use the very thing that got you to the top of the mountain to knock your butt back off. Does that make sense? And this is the thing I want you to realize. There, there, is, there is power in God. There's genuine power in God, in the presence of God. And when you take a thing like a staff, or you take something like an army, or you take something like a, like a smart mind, or you, you take, not that I have one, you take something like, like wisdom, or you take something like the ability to make money, or you take something like the ability to sing, or you, you take something like, like just, just whatever it is, you take something, when God's hand is on it, he can use that thing to change your life in ways that you can't imagine. I bet when Moses was walking around with a staff, he didn't think that the staff was going to be the thing that God used to do some of the craziest miracles that we've ever seen in history. And that when, when, when David was first fighting that lion and fighting that bear, I'm sure that he didn't think in that moment the ability to fight and the ability to war and the ability to lead an army was going to be the thing that God used in his life to do great and mighty things. When that thing, whatever that is, when that thing, uh, that talent, that ability... When God's hand is on it, it will bring blessing to your life. It will bring blessing to other people's lives. It will, it will, it, it will, it will open up doors for you that you should not be walking through. It'll, it'll take you to places nobody, even your own parents, didn't believe you could go. I think I've lived that out a little bit. Every day people come up to me and they're just like, man, God's using you. God's, he's got to be real because... I used to know you. <laughs> God will use whatever it is. And, and, and when, when God's hand is on it and your heart and your hand, your, your mind and your trust and your dependency is on God and God's hand is on the thing, on the gift, on the, on the staff, on the army, then God, it'll just bring blessing. It'll just bring expansion. It'll just bring glory and honor to God. People's lives will be changed. There will be so much victory. There will be things that you can't even imagine will come from this thing. When, when Whatever that thing is, when God's hand is on it and your trust is in God. But when you shift your trust from God to the thing and God's hand is lifted off of it and now it's just in your hands, what once brought blessing, what once brought growth will bring curses and death. It matters greatly whose hand your life is in. 
It matters greatly whose hand your heart is in. It matters greatly whose, who, whose hand your talent and your ability and your resources and the things that you've been blessed with, it matters greatly whose hand it's in. If it's in God's hand, then it's going to be used for great and mighty things. If it's in your hands, it's going to be used for destruction and chaos. It matters greatly. At the end of the day, the staff was just a staff. And the army was just an army. But when it was in the hands of God, greatness showed up. Expansion showed up. But when it was put back in the hands of Moses, and Moses was using it the way he wanted to use it, doing things that he wanted to do, getting outside the will of God, outside the context that God wanted him to use it in, when he took that away from God, when his heart and his mind shifted from God, and he took possession of that, and he put his faith and he put his trust in that, it cost him the very purpose that God blessed him with that to begin with. This is one of my deepest fears from my life, one of my deepest fears from my people. That the very thing that God blessed you with, the very thing that God gave you to change the world with, it's going to be that very thing that you latch a hold of, and it's going to be that very thing that after you put your trust in it, that instead of bringing growth and success and, and thriving to your life, it's going to bring disaster and chaos and chains and hardness of heart, pride and arrogance and defeat. It's the thing. See, I've got an ability to speak. I always have. First 17, 18 years of my life, I got in a lot of trouble because of it. I just, it's just the one thing. I don't have many things, but it's the one thing. That's my thing. That's the thing that God gave me. It's the thing that he's blessed me with. It's the thing that he's called me to do. And I can take this, this tongue of mine, this mouth of mine, and when my heart and my, and, and my mind is, is dependent on God and I'm being led by the Spirit of God and I'm being led by His Word and I'm being led and, and empowered by the Spirit of God, then out of my mouth will come things that give Him honor and glory and will, will give life to people. That's what the, the Word says. But if I shifted my heart from God and I shifted my heart and my dependency from God and I started to think that, that I said some kind of ability and that, that I, could, I could just speak, that I could just talk and that it's just something within me and I, and I started to depend on, on, on communicating well and I started to depend on this and, and I've just got this ability and I shifted it, the very same thing that would give life to people would eventually bring death to people. James says that there's power in the tongue, that it can give life and that it can give death, that it can literally give life to people or it can burn villages down. It matters whose hand your talent, your ability is in. It matters greatly. And the thing that is even deeper than that Is when Joab came to David, it was Joab's, Joab was David's general. When Joab came to David and David said, said, I want you to go out and I want you to, I want you to count all the fighting men. You see, Joab, you don't, you don't know. You don't, you know, I know, I know you know, but you don't know, you don't know. See, it used to be just me, man, and I was, I was pretty awesome in the field. 
fighting the lions and the bears. And you should, man, have you heard the story of Goliath? Man, I was out there and I just, and I'm just, and now, man, I'm just, I'm the king and I've got all, and my, I got all this strength in these, oh, I got all this strength around me. I got all this fighting men. I, and this is just, this is my army. And I, I, I've, I've taken over every land. I've defeated every enemy. I've just, look at this army. Look how great this army is. Look how, uh, and, uh, Job, I want you to go, I want you to go and I want you to count them all so I know how strong I am, so I know how powerful I am, so I know, I know the might that I have. I, I know if an enemy comes, I know that I can defeat him. I, I know I want you to go and I want you to count all the fighting men so that I can know how, how strong I am. And Joab detested this idea. And he asked the question. He said, he said my lord, the king, talking to the king, he said, king, won't the Lord add a hundred times to your army? Meaning, why does it matter? David, David, King David, won't the Lord add a hundred? Won't the Lord add for every man? Don't we have a hundred in the Lord? Like for, for every 10,000, don't we have a hundred thousand in the Lord? A million in the Lord? For every million, don't we have a, a hundred million in the Lord? David said, I, I'm st- I thought it was different. See, I thought you were just like a little young punk shepherd boy and, and the Spirit of God came on you and he just gave you the power to defeat lions and bears and that when you stood out on that field that it really wasn't your strength and it really wasn't your power, it really wasn't your prowess or it wasn't your strategy, but it was, don't you remember what you said, King David? Don't you remember what you said to Saul? Don't you remember what you said to Goliath? Don't, don't you remember that, that it was the Spirit of God that, that delivered me from the lion and the bear and that today the Spirit of God will deliver me from the giant? Don't you remember that, David? Why now in your heart and your mind do you look back on the greatness that he used you for and now you're starting to take credit and starting to take honor and starting to take glory away from God? Didn't you once believe in your heart and know that it was the Spirit of God that destroyed the lion? It was the Spirit of God that destroyed Goliath. It was the Spirit of God that blessed you, that it was his wisdom, not your wisdom, that it was his, his thoughts, not your thoughts, that it was his strategy, not your strategy, that it was his blessing, not you, that it was God and not you that reigned in victory all these years? Why now would you shift your heart and shift your mind away from that and believe that there's some kind of power in the strength of men. Didn't when we had nobody, didn't we get victory in the Lord? Why now would you shift yourself to start counting the men? Don't, don't, doesn't the Lord add a hundred times to whatever it is that we do have? Then why does it matter? Everybody needs a Joab in their life. Everybody needs a Joab in their life. David, don't you think back? Don't you remember? Don't you remember how easy it was to kill the lion? Don't you remember how easy it was to kill Goliath? Don't you remember how easy God handed enemies, enemies that were bigger than us, enemies that were stronger than us? Don't you remember when we had nothing, we had everything in the Lord? Don't you remember how easy it was when God's hand was on us? Why when we had nothing? We could get victory every day in the Lord. Why, why, why would you spit in God's face? By turning your heart into the thing that God gifted you with to change the world. This is something that the Lord put in my heart for this church, for this people, for today. I believe that God is going, I'm telling you, 
and I'm sure you're tired of me saying it, and I'm sure, I'm sure it gets old, but I just have this thing, and I wake up in the morning, and I just get in here, and I just start to pray to God, and he just begins to show, and I, I'm telling you, I just have this feeling, I just know in my heart that we are going to see God do things that will blow our minds. I believe it with all of my heart. And I'm telling you something. God's going to call us to do things that we can't imagine. And if we can't imagine, even imagine what God's going to call us to do, do you think that we have the resources to do it right now? Do you think that, that we have the ability to do the things right now? Do you, do, you think that, do you think that we have the capacity? I mean, look around. There's no more seats right now. The parking lot's full right now. And we're, we're, it's, it's like February. And here's the thing. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. But I know that God's going to keep growing this place. I know that people are going to keep getting saved. I know that marriage is going to keep getting restored. I know that people are going to keep getting filled up because in this house, in this church, we have a dependency on the presence of a living God. And I think that he's called us to do things and be a part of something I believe with all of my heart that they will write books about. I'm telling you, it's no small thing in God. God is not in the business of doing small things. But here's the thing. The things that God is going to call us to do, there's going to be time and time and time again, as it has from the beginning. When we come up to that wall, when God's saying, I need you to go over there, and there's a Red Sea in front of us. I need you to go over there, and there's a mountain in front of us. I need you to go over there, and there's an army in front of us. And we don't have what it takes to get there. We don't have what it takes to keep going. And that's where we got to make sure we don't ever lose the heart that David had most of his life and the heart that Joab was begging him to remember. Because this is, the, this is the secret in what Joab was saying. He was saying, David, don't you know that when we have one in the Lord, it's unlimited? Don't you know that if we have one, we have a million? Don't you know that if we have one dollar, we have a hundred thousand? Don't you know if we have one, if we have one year of experience, we have 50 years of experience? Don't you know that it does not matter who you are or where you are or where you come from or how many or how much or what, whatever God called us to do, we have everything we ever need to get there. And Joab said, I want you, to, David, I want you to be very careful because we serve an unlimited God. And when your trust is in God, then our potential, our calling, where we can go, it's unlimited. But when you shift your heart and your mind and your trust and you put it into your gift or your brains or your wisdom or your strategy or your ability or your finances or what it looks like in the front and you put your trust in that, then you're going to become very limited. I guess what Joab's trying to say and what I'm trying to say and what I think the Lord's trying to say to us is that our potential is highly limited according to what we trust. Whatever we trust is going to be what limits our victory. Our victory is tied up in what we trust. We will have limited victory if we trust something that is limited. And a dollar bill is limited. My gift, my speaking, my calling is extremely limited. The, the, the gifts of, of Pastor Joseph and Pastor Taylor and, and our elders and our leaders and our volunteers, we're all extremely limited. We're just human beings. We're just people doing a thing. But when we turn our heart, our trust, and our dependency to an unlimited God, then our potential becomes unlimited. Then the sky is the limit to how far we can go. We can go wherever he calls us to go. We can build whatever he calls us to build. We can reach whoever he 
calls us to reach, it does not matter when we put our heart and our trust in an unlimited God, we become unlimited. But when we shift our heart and we shift our mind to the arrogance of this world and we start to pay attention to the limitations around us, then our potential, our calling, where we go becomes limited. Our God is an unlimited God. We need to trust an unlimited God so we can experience the power of being unlimited. It's easy because God's with us. It's clear when God's with us. It will be powerful when God is with us. And this morning, 940, we, we met with all the volunteers that are serving today. We met in here and we worshiped and we prayed. And we gave the Lord the day. We surrendered completely. And we said, use us, whatever you want to use us, just use us, God. I think I said the words, without your presence here in this house, it's just four walls and a roof. But when the presence of God is here and his hand is on us, this is a breeding ground of miracles. It's just a staff. It's just some wood but when the hand of God gets on it, it can separate seas, bring water out of rocks, and lead us to the promised land. It matters whose hand it's in. It matters whose hand your finances in. It matters whose hand you're in. But this wasn't even the deepest, darkest part of the sin. What is revealed in this scripture, what we see plays out something really remarkable and leads to something and nobody in the moment realized what it was, what it was gonna result in, especially during the consequences, during the punishment. But, but David, after, after, after having the census and, and committing this great sin and putting his trust and the thing that God blessed him with rather than putting his trust in God, he repented of it and he said, I have done a very foolish thing. I have done a very, very foolish thing. I believed in myself over you. I, I believed in the, the abilities of, of, of war. I believed in the, in the army, the size of the army. I believed in this over you and I have sinned greatly and I've done a foolish thing. And then God, because of this, God said, I... David, I'm going to give you three options. I'll give you three options you can pick. Three years of famine. Three months of being in the hands of your enemies. Or three days being in the hands of your God. And David says something very powerful. And he says, my God is a merciful God. And I do not want to be in the hands of men. I want to be in the hands of my God. And he surrendered himself to God in that way. And he said, God, I want to be in your hands. And so God brought down the judgment as a holy and a righteous and a just God does at times. And right before it gets really bad, he relents and he brings back. But there is a, a very deep, dark tone in, in Israel, and especially in David's life, 
after this judgment comes. And David goes to this place. I'll read it. Uh, the guy's name was uh, Aranhu. And he, and he goes up uh, to him and he says, listen, I, I, want you to, I, I want you to give me. There's this plot of land. I want you to give it to me. I'm going to pay for it. I want you to give it to me uh, because I've got to build an altar to God. And I've got to make sacrifices and I've got to make things right with the Lord. And uh, they had, go through some conversation. And then, and then so it says, so David paid around 600 shekels of gold for the site. And David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. Then David said, the house of the Lord is to be here. The house of the Lord God is to be here. And also the altar of burnt offering for Israel. I want, I, want, I want you to see something. God's temple, where the holies of holies is built, where the presence of God is, is, is the centerpiece of Israel's belief in God. And, and they hadn't had a temple built, and David wanted to build the temple of God, and, and it was really David's greatest desire but because there was so much blood on his hands, he wasn't able to, and God passed it down, and Solomon wound up building the temple of God. But, but it was in this place, on the, the finishing point of David's greatest sin, where he relented and he repented to God, that God instructed him in this moment to build the temple of God on this very place. And it was on this very place where, God repent, where David repented and offered sacrifices for the greatest sin of his life. It was in this very place that God put the holies of holies in his presence and the symbol of the living God, which is a, which is a remarkable thing for me. And, I, and it just, it just kind of struck me. Because David had been praying and, and been, been seeking, you know, where to build the temple and desiring to build the temple. And, and there was no, God had given him no clarity. And it was after this great sin that God said, it is here in this place that I want you to build the temple. And this is what the Lord put in my heart for today. And I want you to listen to me. God building his temple right there in that moment on the back of David's greatest sin. Was God revealing an issue in the heart of Israel and making a very firm statement, I think, to all people, past, present, and future. And it's this, that all men, all men, all women, all people are fallible. Even the greatest of men fall. That all people fall. Even King David, even the man that was after God's own heart, even the great warrior king, the great faithful David, even he falls. And I think that God built that temple there, right there on that spot to make one thing extremely clear. That there is only one thing on this planet, in the thralls of this universe, that can be fully trusted and fully depended on. And that is Yahweh, the God of Israel the God who created the world. I think that God building that temple there in that moment was a loud statement to humanity 
Do not put your faith and do not put your trust in the things of this world and do not put your faith and do not put your trust into the kings of this world because all men fall. All nations crumble. All kingdoms fall in comparison to the great God and God's kingdom. See, I think that David, and I want you to bring you back and say that, that Satan incited David. See, if you misread that, you'll think. You'll think for just a second. You'll think that Satan went and put something in David's heart. But that's not the case. Satan laid out some bait for something that was already in David's heart. A few years back, I, fishing's just, I love fishing. A few years back, I was at the beach, and, and I, I call it the week of the shark. I went out with some bait, and I had a little rod and some bait, and I caught a little shark. I went to the store, and I got a bigger rod, and I got some bigger bait, and I came back, and I threw it out, and I caught a bigger shark. And when I caught that bigger shark, all the people came up and they were like, oh, look at the shark. And they were wanting to touch it and look at it. And it was, every, it was just like this thing. And everybody was so excited. I'll never forget it. Everybody was so excited. And I felt good. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. So I put my rod back out and I caught another bigger shark. Now people weren't as excited. The following morning, I came back and I caught a bigger shark. And now I noticed that there was a perimeter around me. <laughs> that they were all on top of me one day and then the next day they were, they were out. This one uh, little, little mom came up and she goes, you need to quit putting your bait out there because you're attracting the sharks. And I laughed. I said, no, your kids are attracting the sharks. I'm putting my bait out there because they're already there. The enemy does not put things inside of your heart. The enemy baits you for the things that are already inside of your heart. If you aren't careful, your trust your dependency, your faith will be placed in this world, in the kingdoms of this world, in the culture of this world, in the, in the temporary towns and abilities of this world, and the enemy's just waiting with bait because of that issue in your heart, just dangling in front of you, inciting you to live in that state so that you don't experience what God calls. So here, here's where I'm getting at, and this is where I want to I drive to. I believe with all of my heart. I want you to hear me. I believe with all of my heart, God is going to do great and mighty things in this house and he's going to use every single human being in this room. You're going to be a part of something amazing. I believe that every day. We just got to keep our head down being faithful to God and God will continue to bless us. But, but here's the thing that I want us to do as a church. And I think that it makes sense on a bunch of different levels. I think that on one sense it matters whose hand your trust is in. It matters whose hand your talents in. It matters who, whose hand your life is in. I also think that it matters who you're putting your, your trust in overall. That we've got to get to a place to where we, we stop even depending on ourselves and even depending on our hopes and even depending on our desires and we just fully and completely surrender to God. And this morning I feel like God has called us to do something unique. A few weeks ago I was, I was reading um, the Bible I was studying, and I came to a, a prayer that I have not read or I have not seen years and years and years and years and years. And it's, it, it's, it's been famously labeled the prayer of Jabez. And, and it's in Second Chronicle or in First Chronicles chapter 4. And, and Jabez 
was they were just going through this 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 uh, lineage, just going through people's names, and you know, John beget this, and David beget this, and this beget that, and and they get to Jabez, and it, nobody nobody got an introduction, and nobody got a little bit of a story, but then they stop for Jabez, and they say something profound about the life of Jabez. It says that Jabez cried out to God this prayer that is so unique and so powerful. And I, I just want to read it to you really fast. It's First Chronicles chapter 4, and it says, Jabez, it's the only thing in the whole Bible that talks about Jabez. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. This morning, I want us to surrender this house, to surrender our future, to surrender our marriages, to surrender our gifts, to surrender our talents, to surrender our abilities, to surrender our resources, to surrender even our desires, to surrender every ounce of who we are to God Almighty this morning. I want you to just look at this prayer. There's no strings attached to what Jabez says. There's no strings attached. It's, It's not a God give me this specific thing or God bless me here in this specific way or God do this. This reveals something about Jabez's heart. Jabez realized something about God. He realized that he was God. He realized that God was a sovereign God. He realized that God was an all-powerful God. He realized that God was an incredibly wise God. He realized that that God's ways and his thoughts and his wisdom and his understanding and his knowledge and his, his will and his purpose and everything that God wanted, what he said was right, his righteousness, that everything about God was greater than himself. And it's revealed in the way that he cried out to God because he said, God, bless me. God bless me. I don't care how you bless me. Just bless me. I want it to be your blessing on my life. I don't care. You bless me however you want to bless me. Do anything you want to do, God. I'm giving you 100% control of everything in my life, God. You bless me where you want to bless me. Don't bless me where you don't want to bless me. Lead me wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. You just bless me. I just want you to bless me. I want you to be in control. I just want you to bless me. Not give me this, give me that. This is this, this is that. He just said, God, I recognize that I am a man and that you are God and that my desires don't even come close to your desires and what I want in my life doesn't even come close to what you want for me in this life so I'm giving you everything God and I just bless me you just do your thing and the next he goes and God enlarge my territory move my boundaries give me growth in you growth in life whatever it is God I'm just you just enlarge my give me influence whatever it is you just but God you just enlarge you just bless it's you it's your hand God and then he prays in my opinion, one of the most powerful prayers that I've seen inside of Scripture, that I've seen anybody pray in my entire life, he says this, and God, just put your hand on me. God, just put your hand on me. Just put your hand on my life. Just put your hand on me. God, I just want your hand. I I don't want to be in anybody else's hands. 
I don't want to be. I don't want to be in it. I don't want to be in the, the hands of the culture. I don't want to be. I don't want to be in the hands of the kingdoms of this earth. I don't want to be in the hand of the great nations of this earth. I don't want to be in the hands of some king. I don't want to be in the hands of some president. I don't want to be in the hands of some. I don't want to be in the hand. I want to be in your hands. I want your hand to be on me. I don't want to be dependent on any skills or abilities. I don't want to be dependent on it. I just want your hand to be on me. I want your hand to be on me. I want to be in your hands. And I just want you to lead me. I just want you to guide me. He just says, God, I, just, I give you my life. Just put your hand on me. Do whatever you want to do. But this is what I thought the Lord is leading us to do this morning. You feel free to not. But as God is my witness this morning, I'm handing every ounce of my life, every ounce of my marriage, every ounce of, 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 of my fatherhood, every ounce of my children, every ounce of my calling, every ounce of my abilities, every ounce of my talents, every ounce of this house, every ounce of this church, every ounce of ministry, I'm getting every ounce of resources. I'm handing everything over to God and I'm praying three things. I'm praying that God, the God of heaven, the God, the creator of the world just will bless me. And that God, will, he, will, he will just enlarge our territory, that he'll enlarge our influence, that he'll build whatever platform he wants to build for us. I don't care. I don't care what it is. I just want him to be in control. And, and with every ounce of who I am, I want to be in his hands. And I just want his hand to be on me. I want his hand to be on my marriage. I want his hand to be on my family. I want his hand to be on this church. I want his hand on... No, listen. No, listen. Listen, 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 listen. This is one of those things you can feel free to leave anytime you want. Because if we're here till 1 o'clock, I don't really care. But I want us to pray this morning. I want us to pray this morning. See, there's some of you right now, you, you, don't, you haven't even told her yet, but you're contemplating asking for a divorce. There's some of you who haven't even told him yet, but you've made up in your mind the marriage is over. Now, some of you, 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 don't even, you haven't even gone there yet, but, but you have just come to the conclusion that your kid is gone and he's never coming back. There, there's some of you, you've just, you feel like you've gone too far. There's too much sin. There's too much corruption. There's too much past. There's really no reason to live. It just is what it is. You're just sitting, I'm sitting, you're sitting there and you're just, and you know, you haven't been paying attention. You've been texting on your phone, but right now is your moment to pay attention to what God wants to do in your life. Every now and then, no matter where we are, God opens up an opportunity and God opens up a moment for you to shift things in your life, for you to change things in your life. And there's some of you who are very, very successful in this room, but your heart and your mind is extremely dependent on the things that God has blessed you with. And it will be those things that stop you from finding your promised land. And this morning, I want you to do a thing. I want you to walk down to this altar and I want you to have whatever it may be. I want you to give it to the Lord. And I want you to ultimately say to God, God, let your hand be on me. Let it just be you. Let it be just your present. Let it be just your spirit. I'm telling you, revival starts in prayer and prayer alone. Every now and then there is a moment that alters things and changes things. I believe for at least me this morning, I believe I'm accepting it. I'm taking it. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm going to have my butt at this altar, my hands in the air, surrendering everything I am to God, asking him to have his hand on me and his hand on this church and his hand on this leadership. And I'm telling you right now, this is one of those moments, even if it's your first time here, you need to block out what everybody may be thinking. You need to block out what everybody else may be looking. There's some of you this morning right now, you are so lost in sin. If you were to die, you would spend the rest of eternity in hell. And right now in this moment, you have your ability to come find the God who died for you. Jesus Christ died for you. 
and you can find life in Christ right now in this moment.